Well, thus far in our service, in some respects, we've been focusing on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ uh, in remembering his sacrifice in the Lord's Supper and even in some of these songs we sang together. But um, as Jerry had shared with us from Romans last Sunday, um, I kind of picked it up and got into Romans chapter 12 on Thursday, and I want to continue there. It also speaks of a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, no longer made by Jesus Christ, but made by us, the little Jesuses. Let's read it together. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans 12, verse 1. Let's read that verse together as I endeavor to bring bring a message concerning this. Let's read together. Romans 12, 1. You may remain seated for this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Father God, thank you for speaking to us through the Bible and through your Holy Spirit, God. We don't want to miss uh, your words. We don't want to let any of your words fall to the ground, though this may be uh, a common verse, a verse that we've memorized in Sunday school and uh, other times since then. God, we don't want to miss what you're saying to us. Help us now at this time by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name and for his glory we ask it. Amen. So as I said, um, Jerry had been sharing in Romans. It just so happened that um, my part of my own personal Bible reading program had brought me right here to Romans 12. And when I got to Romans 12, 1, as familiar as that verse is, and as oft quoted as that verse is in Christian circles, I thought to myself, I don't want to turn the page. I don't want to get onto chapter 13. I don't want to get onto the second half of the chapter. I don't want to miss what the Holy Spirit wants to impart uh, through these words, that we, by the mercies of God, are invited, beseeched, begged, pleaded, ur urged uh, to voluntarily give our lives as living sacrifices. And I thought to myself, as I look at Romans 12:1, and think of how in Romans we have this systematic theology and Paul, by the Holy Spirit, just lays it out for us, the whole systematic theology of of um, uh, the fall of man, the corruption of man apart from God, the need for faith, uh, the example of Abraham, um, the effects of sin, the redemption, the atoning work of Jesus Christ, the possibility for that to be a portion to ourselves and for us to walk in victory, culminating in Romans chapter 8. And he makes some other comments about the, crea the created order as well. And it's redemption, not just the redemption of man, but the redemption of the whole created order. And then he goes in Romans 9, 10, and 11 and speaks about the mercies of God and the mystery of how, how it came to us personally. Election, if you want to use that word, the Bible uses that word, the choice of God and choosing us, his call upon us to receive this knowledge and receive the gospel and to be able to respond to it. And so, so it's all laid out right there, Romans 1 through 11 culminating in, these tremendous, in this tremendous doxology, the mystery 
of the election of God and how he chose us even as Gentiles to receive the word of God and to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed or paid back to him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And after that great crescendo, he says, okay, here we go. Let me give you one thing. Just like Jesus said that the whole law was summed up in this. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. Two things, love God and love man. The whole law was summed up. Here is a parallel to that. If I could just have some preacher's license to, to say some more words of Paul, paraphrase them a little bit more. Uh, okay, all this, what I've just written, Romans 1 through 11, I'm going to give you one thing to do in response to all of this. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I could go on and on, Paul might have said, with various instructions and specific instructions for specific circumstances and situations, but if I could sum it all up in one sentence, live as a sacrifice for your fellow man and for your God. Amen. And that should pretty much take care of everything. There's your universal law right there. And as I commented on Thursday and just for uh, those of you who may not have been here on Thursday night uh, on, on verse 1, he, uh, it says, I beseech you, the Holy Spirit through Paul was begging us, urging us. I painted the picture of a preacher with his veins popping out and his face going red. You know, the Holy Spirit is urging us. Come on now. I urge you urgently to make this choice for yourself. I'm not commanding you now because I want you to own it. I want you to choose it for yourself in light of God's mercy, to choose and decide for yourself of your own free will, I'm going to live as a sacrifice. I've got one life to burn out on planet earth. I'm going to burn out living as a sacrifice for man and for my God. So help me God. It's my choice. It's each and every one of our choice to decide that for ourselves yeah. with what we have of this life on earth and the Holy Spirit beseeching us to make that choice for ourselves, not forcing us, not commanding us, beseeching us and inviting us and urging us because God's good and he knows what's best and that's a life of life. Jesus came that we may have life more abundant. Well, there it is. He says that those who lose their lives will truly find it. And as I also shared on Thursday, I just got into this, uh, by, he says, I beseech you by the mercies of God, or my uh, New International Bible says, in, the, in view of God's mercy. And when you see things, whew, it puts some fire in you. When you see things, when you have a vision of things. And on Thursday night, we traced that trace of the mercy of God in the context of Romans 12, the mercy of God in, in Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11, and not only that, some of the New Testament uh, statements, the mercy of God that in Romans 9 it says, it's not to him who wills it or to him who runs, but it's by God's mercy. 
It's by God's mercy that you've received this salvation. It's by God's mercy, as it says in Romans 10, that you heard it, that anybody ever came and told it to you, whether you were born in a Christian family with godly parents that shared it with you, or whether some guy on the streets in Brockton, Massachusetts with a clipboard first ever shared it with you, as would be in my case, or whoever it was that God sent you, maybe a high school buddy, I don't know. It's by his mercy that you've heard it. And then it goes on to say, it's by your mercy, by God's mercy that you somehow had a heart to respond to it, to hear it, ears to hear it. It's Isaiah says, who has believed our message? Who has believed our message? It's by his mercy. And we kind of traced that mercy and even went outside Romans and just grabbed a couple of powerful verses of the mercy of God in the New Testament. These are the mercies by which we are motivated by a complete act of our own will and choice to live as a living sacrifice. And the other New Testament verse, just to complete this recap of Thursday night that I want to share again because I love it so much. It's like music. You could put it on, stick this one on your iPhone or your MP3 player or whatever you call it and play it over and over again. Ephesians chapter 2. And you, you, hath he quickened, brought to life, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation, our way of life, our manifesto, <laughs> in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and whereby nature, the children of wrath. That's quite a contrast by the mercy of God, isn't it? To go from being a child and an object of the wrath of God to what it says in Romans 9, vessels of mercy. You are a container and a vessel, a recipient of the mercy of God. And then in Ephesians 2, 4, it says, but God, but God, what a but God. There's some but gods we know in the word of God, but how about this but God? But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, brought us to life together with Christ by grace. You're saved and have raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness to us, to us word through Christ Jesus. So we reviewed that on Thursday night so that we could see what was behind this phrase in Romans 12, 1, by the mercies, plural, a one-dimensional mercy wasn't enough for God. It had to be multi-dimensional on multi-levels. By the mercies of God in view, having a fuel clear view and vision of the mercy of God, that you and we would choose to have rocket fuel and our desire to live a life of self-sacrifice, even as David, when he faced Goliath, 
you know, say, oh, I guess I'm going to be a, have to be the one to do it. Nobody else is going to do this. Oh, well. No. He ran. He ran. He ran towards self-sacrifice. So just getting on to this phrase for a second, living sacrifice. Present your bodies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's so easy for us Gentiles just to pass over words which contain a universe. Now Romans, this epistle was written to the church of Rome, which um, though it's presumed may have been predominantly Gentile, there probably was not an insignificant number of Jews in their midst. <laughs> he would probably whisper to them when they were sitting, reading, you Gentiles over there, psst, when they were reading this letter from Paul. Do you guys know what this means? A living sacrifice? Well, sacrifice. It's all over the Old Testament. In fact, if you've ever read or studied the book of Leviticus, you probably got bored out your mind reading about it. You probably got so, your head was so spinning, the whole thing just became a blur. Because it seemed like there was every sort of sacrifice for every sort of thing, the likes of which you couldn't quite figure out the differentiations and distinctions. And that was just when the sacrificial system came along. Don't forget that sacrifice starts in the book of Genesis when Cain and Abel came along and they wanted to offer a sacrifice. And one of those sacrifices, we're talking about sacrifice now, living sacrifice. One of those sacrifices was accepted and one was rejected. And God said to Abel, what, what are you in the huff about? You've got nothing to be bitter or resentful. If you do well, won't your sacrifice be accepted too? If you do well, if the sacrifice is a sacrifice of right living, wouldn't that be acceptable to God? Abel's was not, there was some kind of unrighteousness in his life. His sacrifice wasn't accepted. There was no faith in his life. There was no acknowledgement in his life that only a blood covering would suffice to cover his sin. Sacrifice. When it says present your bodies a living sacrifice, it's a cross-reference to a large portion of the Old Testament and to the whole concept of sacrifice and everything that's, that's incorporated in that. Huge connotations, not just a word to pass over. Um, Simone, I was just praying with Simone. Simone offered a prayer uh, in response to our... our um, communion and in it in her prayer she referred to Abraham sacrificing his son God told him it was a God appointed sacrifice 
It wasn't a sacrifice that he, there's an acceptable sacrifice. It wasn't a sacrifice that he chose, that he invented, that he dreamed up. God put his finger on it and told him to sacrifice his only son. Again, sacrifice had to come with faith because Abraham's like, put that together. The son through which you promised you'd make me the father of many nations. Now you tell me to turn around and sacrifice him. Oh, yes. The word of God, the message of God, the instructions of God are sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing even to soul and spirit, joints and marrow, Abraham. And there's a division that's going to need to take place in your heart because you're on the verge of valuing the gift of God more than the giver. And we're going to get that taken care of right now. But there's going to have to be faith in this sacrifice. And there was, because it says that he reasoned that God was able to raise him up from the dead. And there was faith in Isaac's willingness to be that sacrifice. Faith, the ingredient of an acceptable sacrifice. Just like all those ingredients that had to be in those various prescribed Old Testament sacrifices, whether it was a salt or whether it was a, a grain uh, offering added to the sacrifice. Uh, that's it. Choose in view of the mercy of God to, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice just like all those Old Testament sacrifices, whether they were the primitive ones before the law or even thinking of, of the parallelisms and the sacrifices, the Levitical sacrifice. Offer your body, come and offer your body a living sacrifice. Um, what's going to have to happen for it to be a living sacrifice that's acceptable? Well, just as it was in the Levitical law, it's going to have to be without spot and blemish. We can't offer a tainted sacrifice. It's going to have to come from the best of the flock, not the worst, not the dregs, not the last, but the very best of what you have. Pour it out. Pour it out before God. Lose it. Give it up. Just like David, again, when his men decided they were going to get him a glass of water, they had to break out of the enemy lines to get it, break back through the enemy lines at the risk of their lives. And David said, far be it from me. Pour it out. Pour it out to the world so the world would say, what a waste. <laughs> Never. Waste it. Waste it. Waste it. For the love of God and Jesus Christ. Um, the, the, when, when the Levitical sacrifice was brought, it had to be without spot. It had to be without blemish to be acceptable to God. It seems like in ministries today, or, uh, we can fall into the trap of looking at the result and wanting to achieve something for God. And all the while, the way... We're going about it is not pleasing to him. Amen. Because we're going to achieve these great results for God. While we criticize other people. 
God's like, that's not pleasing sacrifice. That's a stench. Get that one. Stinks. Oh, you achieved something great for God. Raised $60 million and sent it all over the world. Really? While, while there was bickering, while there was fault finding, while there was unforgiveness, ungraciousness, while there was ungodliness, it's not an acceptable sacrifice. God help us to present our sacrifice. It was the best of the flock. It was perfect. They couldn't be lame. They couldn't be blemished in any way. When the sacrifice was brought, it had to be washed. It had to be killed. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now we know to be a living sacrifice, we need to be killed. Just like that offering was killed. It had to be killed. Some have gone so far and circumstances have allowed for them to be physically killed, to be martyrs for Jesus Christ. And the book of Revelation says there's a special place for that and a special place for them. But for most of us, uh, that may not be an option. Possibility. But all of us have to die. There has to be an inner death. Amen. A death to our desires. A death to our wishes. A death of our dreams that we dreamt up for ourselves. It's a blessing. <laughs> A death, just like that sacrifice, had to be killed. It was brought to the priest. It was washed. It was cleaned. It was prepared. It was arranged. It was killed. If we're going to choose to be living sacrifices, we're going to have to choose an inner death. Just like Paul says, I die daily. An inner death to hang there on our inner cross. And watch things happen, things be said, that we may be living sacrifices. Uh, that sacrifice was washed, it was killed, and uh, then what did they do with it? They burned it up. It was burned. Burned. fire it had to go through the fire somebody said that Jesus was going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire are we willing to, to willingly and joyfully and voluntarily offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, we're going to have to go through the fire, the fire of suffering, whether it's an inner suffering, an inner pain that we carry, an outer suffering, so that what was us is burned up and comes before God, obliterated, Reassimilated into the economy of God, coming up before Him 
as a pleasing aroma. And of course, the other thing with the Old Testament idea of sacrifice was that, yeah, once that was done, once that best of the flock and was acceptably sacrificed, it, I mean, it's burned. It can't be ever sacrificed again. But a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice to allow ourselves to go through this continually over and over again. If we do, and if we meet the same criteria as that Levitical sacrifice, that's what it means for it. It means holy, it is holy, it's dedicated to God, and it is acceptable. It's very acceptable to God as our sacrifice is conformed similarly to the, to the standards of the Old Testament. Sacrifice. Let's go to Psalm 51, 17, because David was a prophet, wasn't he? True. Oh, the prophetic end time statements in the Psalms, he was a prophet. And regarding, we're just talking about how Paul reaches this crescendo of his systematic theology in the view of the, the new covenant that we celebrated earlier in this service. And he said, here's the one thing, if I could summarize it all, if I could make an equivalent parallel to love God and love your neighbor, here's another one. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. In all situations, at all times, at all moments, to God and to man, you'll have it all taken care of. But even, even, in, the, uh, even in the Old Testament, even David the prophet, knew that there was more coming than the physical Levitical sacrifice. He knew there was going to be a spiritual parallel and fulfillment coming. In 51.17 it says, he says it, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, thou will not despise. Being willing to be broken to offer ourselves as a sacrifice, to be willing to be broken. Being broken is not comfortable, is it? Yeah. It's a lot more comfortable to be fully functional in our own powers and to depend upon no one, especially not God. Because God, His ways are mysterious and unconventional and we can't control how he's going to come through for us you don't want to be dependent on that certainly not in the flesh you don't but the spirit oh the spirit the holy spirit says i beseech you i beg you i beg you make this choice for yourself i will live i will offer my body as a living sacrifice I will allow myself to be broken. I will say, God, I give you full permission to break me in any way. Just like Jacob, when he wrestled with God. And he won. But he walked away with a lifelong limp. Are you willing to have a limp for the rest of your life somewhere in your body or mind or functionality that you got to rely upon? the cane of the power 
of God that if it doesn't come through, you're on your face, you fall flat on your face. To, to be willing to say, God, break me. Isn't that what um, Evan Roberts said in the Welsh Revival? Bend me. Bend me. Um, a pastor friend of mine told me of a recent encouraging book that's been published regarding praying dangerous prayers to God. And the author uh, suggests uh, three two-word prayers that are very dangerous. God, search me. God, break me. God, send me. But to be willing, to be willing to be broken. Sacrifice. The living sacrifice, to be willing to be broken. And then in Romans 6.13, just a couple of uh, other references. I hope I got my references right here. It's 6.13. Wait a minute, did I get that right? Okay. I think I... Okay, I got... Sorry, I got my reference wrong. I don't know where it is right now. There's, there's a verse about offering yourselves to God. I might have been slightly off there. We'll look it up later. Go to Philippians 2.17. I hope this one's right. Paul, again, the vocabulary of sacrifice continues throughout the New Testament. Paul said, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. There was, there was two sacrifices there. There was the sacrifice of the Philippians that he was addressing. You know, those ones that sacrificed to support Paul. But then he says, on top of your sacrifice, if I'm sacrificed, if I'm like one of those, some of the sacrifices in the Levitical law, there was the sacrifice, but then there was actually a sacrifice put on top of the sacrifice to add to the aroma, whether it was a grain offering or some kind of anointing on there that was all burned up with it, and it just enriched and increased it all. Paul said, if, if I'm offered on top of your sacrifice, then glory to God, hallelujah, that's even better, Paul. He had an inner vision and appreciation for sacrifice. It says, if it's cost me too, then glory to God. That's even better. Then in Hebrews 13. Sorry about my mess up on Romans 6. I'll try and find that for you later. I think it was a good one. Hebrews 13, 15, 16. Again, the vocabulary of sacrifice Continuing, <coughs> by him, therefore, let us offer this sacrifice of praise to God continually. Amen. A sacrifice costs something, doesn't it? When they offered those sacrifices, whatever the prescription was, whether a dove or a bull or a goat, 
It cost them something. They had to work and labor and raise and pay for that thing. Sacrifice costs us. It's an inner, there's an inner pressing, there's an inner effort, there's an inner intentionality. And right here, it talks about the sacrifice of praise being offered to God continually. Does that take a pressing? When your mind wants to race in a million different places? And when disappointing things happen and the last thing you want to do is praise God? But there is a sacrifice of praise. Offer your bodies. You know, I really believe that that word body there is not used in a literal sense in terms of making a distinction between the body, the mind, you know, the soul, the spirit. I I believe that it's used as a representation of our whole being. Sacrifice. Your thought, your words, your actions, your liberties, your self-dependency. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, which means share, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Isn't that something? God's pleased. God's pleased. When... In the name of the love of Christ, it costs us something. (laughs) Sacrifice. That's it. That's the simple instruction or invitation, begging of the Holy Spirit to voluntarily bring our bodies, our beings, our faculties to God in the appropriate, acceptable manner and let them be a living sacrifice. And it says... Conclude in Romans 12 that that's a reasonable service. Why is that? Why is it only logical and only reasonable? Because Jesus did the same and more for us. You know, you you already know that. I know that preaching to the choir. But that's the reason why it is reasonable and logical. But in the heat of the moment, we, we forget that, don't we? We forget that. I've lost me. We're back in Romans 12 again. Romans 12, 1. Just finishing out on the last phrase there. Which is your reasonable service. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Just a couple of uh, quick verses to uh, close our case today. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And, you know, we talk about giving to good causes or whatever. Um, But it says here that Jesus went from total riches to the abject poverty of planet Earth so that we might become rich. Kind of reminds me of uh, the uh, 
a queen of the Middle Ages, Elizabeth of Hungary. So we named her dog after Lizzie. She was rich. She had crown jewels. She was a duchess, a princess, one of the two. But she went out, Van, to find the poor. Europe was in famine at the time. She sold her crown jewels. She sold stuff from her castle to be able to feed the villages. And then she brought the lepers into the castle and nursed the lepers. Talk about going from being rich to being poor. Of course, this stirred up a lot of opposition and resentment and persecution from carnal men and the others in the royal family. And after her husband had, uh, was uh, killed in battle and unable to protect her and cover her and the rest of the family had their way, she was kicked out of the castle and became homeless herself on the streets with her three or four children at age 22. Talk about going from being rich to being poor so someone else can be rich. She was a tremendous example. Second Corinthians says that this was, it's a reasonable service. This is, Jesus already did this for us. He was loaded, minted, rich. However you want to say that in modern vernacular. And it became poverty stricken for us so we could be rich. Second Corinthians 5, 14 also another verse here, just good to back up our case with the word of God, isn't it? Amen. Just trust in Jesus that his word will dwell in us richly with all wisdom. And uh, for the love of Christ constrains us, you know, it's a reasonable service. The love of Christ leaves us in a place where we have no other option. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. You were dead. Before Jesus came. What's the next verse there, Nick? That he that died and that he died for all, that they which live should henceforth live, not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. That's a reasonable service. It just makes sense. If you were dead and had no hope of being resurrected and now you have life that Jesus gave you, what is there left for live for except to live voluntarily by our will and really wanting to offer ourselves back to God and to man as a sacrifice. Romans 8.32, wonderful verse. It's in a familiar chapter, but it's sometimes overlooked. He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, the argument there is that Jesus Christ was the greatest and most precious thing that God could give us. So why would he withhold anything else? It's a reasonable service because of the sacrifice of God and of Jesus Christ. God did it all voluntarily at great cost. Jesus partook of the plan voluntarily and at great cost. We are invited and urged in Romans 12 to voluntarily, by our own choice, by our own will, even through revelation, by our own preference, offer ourselves as, as living sacrifices. And in conclusion, you know, we talk about what is the whole point of being a disciple? It's to become like the master. Well, this is what the master was. 
he was a sacrifice. Let us, he was a willing voluntary sacrifice. Let us be like Jesus. Let us live to be willing voluntary sacrifices too. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, God, for your great mercies. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to make our short lives on earth count for something for you and for your kingdom. Because the sacrifice that we give will change eternity. And we will have the joy and the pleasure of finding our lives on earth by simply the single-worded, single-sentence response to all New Testament truth. Just decide for yourself to be and to live as a living sacrifice, God. Thank you, Lord. We give it to you, and we ask for your help and revelation in it, for your honor and glory. Amen. Amen. Praise God. He has told us to sacrifice our bodies, sacrifice our bodies, and at the same time he has told us this is a temple. We are to nurture it. We are to put the right things in. We are to read the right things. We are to see the right things. It's not a paradox, though, when you think about what he said he wanted in a sacrifice to the Israelis years and years and thousands of years ago when he said this could not be a crippled animal. This could not be a, a sickly animal. This had to be a good, healthy animal. And that's what he's telling us. Make these bodies as healthy as we can. Do everything we can to be pure, to be holy, not just on Sundays, every day of our... This is quite a challenge because it's easy for us to come in here and say, oh, you look so nice. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. Oh, I'll pray for you. But how are we treating our neighbor? How are we living our lives day to day? I feel so convicted over this. It is so easy for me to come in here and love you. But I have to confess, I get angry with other people, and I'm short with them, and I have a wonderful vocabulary that I use to hurt people. And God has really been talking to me about this. This tongue of mine can be a pretty evil, nasty thing. And God wants us to live every day, every moment of every day, what we hear in this room. I mean, it is so serious. I thank you. This is quite a challenge. Thank you, Sheila, for that, that confirming test. Um, yeah, I'm very challenged by it too. If we take it seriously in any way at all, then, then we will be challenged by it. Um, we, some of us gathered here last night and in a way, I was kind of hesitant, but the voice of the martyrs um, offered the opportunity to, um, to, to, to see this, this movie portrayal of Richard Wormbrandt's account, Tortured for Christ, the, the account of Richard Wormbrandt's life. And it, for those of us that, that came to watch that, it, it was very thought-provoking, but um, what what struck me and in response to what you said and some of what we've been thinking about this morning is it's actually very sacred. It's very sacred to have the power and the autonomy over your body and over your being to, to give that over as a sacrifice 
And these ones in the persecuted church in Romania, they allowed their bodies to be touched. They allowed that part of their being just as Jesus did. Now, God could have set up Jesus' sacrifice in any way. I guess, uh, means maybe, somehow, or maybe he couldn't. Maybe it had to be this way. But notice how Jesus' sacrifice, it was a bodily sacrifice. He was pierced for our transgressions. He had to allow his body to be bruised and beaten. And we saw it in the lives of these, these martyrs and these prisoners for Christ. And as the title says, tortured for Christ. And they, oh, I, I, you can't put it all into words. But, it, but it, there's, there's a sacredness there. There's a sacredness that when they gathered in their prison cells to worship God, it was more real to them. Their worship was more real to them. Their communion, their fellowship in the spirit was more real to them because they were in this unique and unusual position, certainly unique and unusual for our short time period in world history, that, that they had to suffer in their bodies to carry on that confession of Christ. And they were identified with Christ in his suffering. And it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. It seems gory. It seems grotesque. I mean, they were horrible. They were unpresentable. They were in pain. They were a mess. But it was a beautiful thing. It was sacred. They had allowed their bodies to be touched. Now, when you get to the body, you're getting pretty close to the center of our being. Remember what the devil said to God? Well, sure, God. You can take away all Job's stuff. He won't curse your face. But let me touch his body. Then he'll curse you to your face. Wow. It's a lot in it. It really is. 